Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another Privacy International podcast from our Reproductive Rights and Privacy Project. I am Sarah Nelson, and I lead the Reproductive Rights Project here at PI. Today, we're speaking with Paz Pena, who is an independent consultant working at the intersection of gender, technology, and human rights. Paz is based in Chile, and we spoke about data exploitation in the provision of sexual and reproductive rights in the country. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Paz. Could you introduce yourself? Uh, yes, my name is Paz Peña. I'm an independent consultant. I work in the intersections between technology, gender, um, and human rights. For the work that you did with PI, it was focused on reproductive rights in Chile. And I was wondering if you could give us sort of an overview of the landscape of reproductive rights in the country. Uh, sure. We, we have to understand that like many countries in Latin America, Chile used to have a very powerful um, presence of the Catholic Church. You know, the most conservative side of the Catholic Church has been part of the Chilean elite from years, you know, but after the Pinochet dictatorship and, you know, process of democratization, globalization, and of course, you know, the whole sexual abuse scandals within the Catholic Church uh, started a process of uh, secularization, you know. But now, um, despite Chile is one of the least religious countries in the region, conservatives still have, you know, an enormous influence uh, in political parties, study centers, universities, uh, and of course, civil society. So I will say that sexual and reproductive rights um, is one of their main battlefields, I will say, you know. So, for example, um, in terms of, of abortion, until September 2017, Chile was the, one of the few countries in the whole world uh, that did not permit you know, abortion under any circumstances. Um, now, the current law only al allows abortion uh, on three grounds. Uh, when uh, a woman's life is in danger, uh, when there are fetal anomalies incompatible with life, and uh, when the pregnancy is the uh, result of uh, rape. Um, the enforcement of the law has been very difficult processed. And this is because, as local families say, and I really like this, uh, you can end penalization of abortion, but the social punishment for abortion is still present. No? So, for example, one of the most important hurdles for women to get an abortion in uh, public hospitals and private clinics is that doctors acting as individuals and um, private clinics acting as institutions uh, can be conscientious objectors. Uh, so, uh, for example, nearly 50% of all medical providers in Chile objects to provide uh, providing abortions at the rate. So, beyond these three circumstances, women that want to have an abortion have, you know, two options. Uno, one, get the after-day pill. Uh, which you can get without a prescription in pharmacies. But if you go to the private system, uh, the price could be super high no, for middle-class women. And if you go to a public hospital, you still have this, you know, influence of, you know, around abortion and, you know, that social punishment. So women don't prefer to go to 
public hospital many times. Um, so the other problem is that there is a black market, especially on the, on the internet selling uh, after day pills. And many times that those after day pills are fake. Uh, so, um, uh, and you have to add that, of course, there's a lot of misinformation about the after day pill. This is, we can see this on, on, our, on our research. Uh, you know, conservatives are saying that after day pill you know, it's bad for women, uh, it doesn't work, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And the other option that women have to get an abortion is, you know, get an illegal, illegal abortion with a doctor in our clinic, uh, which is, for, of course, highly expensive and because it's illegal, it's, you know, highly dangerous. Um, in terms of contraception, uh, Chile, in Chile, there's this, there is some... Um, clear uh, national policy regarding access to contraceptive methods for women. This is it's a long tradition. However, I would say that uh, some hurdles still remain. Uh, for women who go to private system, uh, the price for contraceptive methods is super high. And of course, this uh, affects uh, directly young women uh, that doesn't earn much money. And for women to go to public hospitals, contraceptives are free, but there's still a lack of, you know, uh, information in terms of how to use them, you know, what method is best for each case, et cetera, et cetera. And I will say finally that, the, you know, the lack of sexual education is another crucial barrier in Chile to get, a, you know, non-deacid uh, reproductive health information. Um, today, to date, um, Chile does, does not have a you know, comprehensive educational policy on sexuality, affectivity, and of course, gender. However, nowadays, uh, uh, a bill is being discussed in the Congress. Uh, but again, uh, this bill has also been you know, the target of disinformation campaigns you know, on the internet by conservative sectors, which again you can see on our report so i will say basically that there are three factors you know in this landscape now first the political pressure by conservatives uh, the lack of education uh, and reliable information provided by the state and of course as a market is super important here in chile we are a very neoliberal country prices are super high for contraceptive methods for, for example my next question was around the different forms of technology that your research has shown is kind of being integrated within reproductive health care um, and the organizations behind that technology. Um, you in your in the research that we we did, um, you mentioned quite a few uh, Citizen Go and Population Research Institute and FEM and um, the different websites. And so I was wondering, could you just talk through a few of those examples that you put into the research? Sure, um, so in this research, we have found two ways on how big data could be collected and exploited by conservative organizations to hurdle uh, access to information on sexual and reproductive rights. One is utilizing data to enhance campaigns on social media, and the other one is designing and you know, using technologies to erode uh, sexual and reproductive rights. 
So in the case of um, you know, exploiting data to enhance campaigns on social media, we see two examples. One is the El Bus de la Libertad, which is uh, the Freedom Bus, uh, uh, which is an initiative that was born in Spain uh, with the conservative organization uh, Citizen Go, uh, and which is basically you know, a, a bus that travels around the city with anti-abortion and anti-gender messages. Uh, this offline action, of course, has a robust uh, you know, online presence. Uh, photos and comments on the you know on the of the bus messages produce thousands of of thousands of interactions on social networks so it's it's an offline action but also uh, the online component is very very important so the freedom bus had an appearance in chile back in um, 2017 and at the time public opinion was discussing abortion and also the gender identity law here in chile uh, so this Chilean bus received support from uh, the Population, Population Research Institute, uh, PRI, uh, which is an international organization based in the U.S. with Christian and um, Catholic inspiration. The PRI, PRI um, also has a network, a global network of pro-life groups in over 80 countries. And on their website, uh, they actually recognize that they advise organizations to strengthen their actions, both in mass events and of course, social networks. So the PRI and the organization that originally created the Freedom Bus, uh, Citizen Go, uh, work together to provide trainings to conservative organizations around the world on the strategic use of data and social media. And they even organize uh, a, a summer camp, especially for these uh, topics in, in Italy back in 2018, the Chilean bus has probably followed, you know, all those teachings of the PRI and Citizen Go. Um, and they were very, very successful. Um, the local media, the most important local media in Chile says that um, the Freedom Bus was the most important communicational action of the, conservatives of the conservative agenda in Chile. So they were, they were big, and of course, social media was super, super important for that. A second case uh, uh, that we find out was, is a website called uh, embarazoinesperado.cl. Um, this website has a web chat and a hotline for women seeking uh, information about abortions in Chile. This website was detected actually by local feminists uh, who you know, received screenshots of this website when it appeared uh, as an ad on Instagram. So feminist groups were super worried about embarazoinesperado.cl because nobody knew until now uh, who was behind that initiative. No? Um, if, you, if you go to the website, there's no specific information on that. So in this research, we were very, we were um, able uh, to establish that Embarazo Esperado has ties with uh, Red por la Vida y la Familia, which is a network of 27 organizations uh, from Chile. This network seeks to promote, you know, conservative values, you know, defend human life and, you know, family, etc. And embarazoinesperado.cl also has a major influence, which is embarazoinesperado.com, which also provides a web chat 
almost the same uh, web website, no? Provides a web chat and a hotline for women seeking information on abortions in Latin America. And actually, embarazoinesperado.com has a very strong presence in Argentina, for example. So, embarazoinesperado.com is an initiative of the Latin American Network of uh, Centros de Ayuda para la Mujer, or CAMS, which means basically um, women's aid centers. And CAMS have, you know, a high presence in countries of the continent, including, of, of course, Chile. There's the, these centers were exported, and this is very interesting. These centers were exported, exported to Latin America back in the 70s uh, from the United States. Uh, inspired by the um, college crisis preg pregnancy centers, which were a way of, you know, stimulating pro-life activism in the United States, you know, I, back in the 70s. So the CAM network also receives funds from several uh, conservative donors, including, of course, Harvard's International. And because of uh, previous uh, research of previous international, we know that Harvard's International, international is um, empowering conservative organizations to use, uh, you know, big, da big data to increase their impact. Um, so in the case of the Chilean chapter of Embarazo Inesperado, we can say that they actually use advertising on Instagram. Uh, so, in a way, they use big data to target, you know, their audience. Um, but it's not clear, however, if this use of big data is directly, you know, influenced uh, by Harvard's International through, you know, the CAM, um, CAM network, or is uh, the result of, you know, the local marketing company uh, that works with them, which uh, the name is uh, Entus Zapatos. Uh, it's not clear who is, you know, behind that uh, strategic use of uh, social networks, but the, the, you can see clearly that they, they use social networks to target their audiences. Um, and this use of big data is super troubling. The organization behind Embarazo Inesperado is hidden. The only reason for hearing this necessary information is because what they really seek is to treat women, no? They don't provide reliable information on abortion, on the contrary, they look to, you know, prevent women and girls from um, exercising their sexual and reproductive rights. And the use of big data and social media is a perfect way, uh, you know, to amplify in, in a way their anti-woman's right agenda, if you can say, no? Uh, and finally, the case of, you know, design and use of technology to prevent a woman's sexual to prevent women's sexual and reproductive rights. Uh, we find in that line uh, the case of FEM app. The FEM app is a mobile application developed by FEM Foundation, uh, which means Fertility Education and Medical Management, uh, which was founded by the, Chile, the Chilean doctor, Mrs. Pilar Vigil. This is a big name here in this research. Um, well, this application is very popular. Uh, in, in the world has at least I think 400,000 users and seeks to control, you know, fertility periods through collecting data on sexual and, you know, for, uh, menstrual cycles of women. Last year, uh, which is very interesting, The Guardian reported that this application recommends its users to abandon contraceptive, contraceptive methods and follow, you know, the natural methods, no? 
They also reported that they received funding from anti-abortion groups such as the Chiaro um, Scuro Foundation, uh, which is also based in the US. So um, an initiative called Teen Star also promotes the use of FEMAP. Teen Star is an educational initiative that started in the US again and promotes abstinence, you know, at, at the expense of other viable um, alternatives such as hormonal contraception. Their curriculum, Teen Star curriculum, is present in 36 countries, including Chile, of course. And Teen Star in Chile was founded by the creator of FEMAP, the Chilean Dr. Mrs. Pilar Vigil. So many things are super worrisome here in, in, with uh, FEMAP. First, you know, the typical stuff, the use of sensitive data of women. Uh, so according to their um, privacy policy, the sensitive data could be used for advertising. They also promise that the women can use the app uh, with uh, anonymity, which is not quite real when you use the, the app in your phone. Another troubling aspect is whether Teamstar promotes FEMAP uh, in countries where they provide educational programs to young women and girls. This could be even more thorny in the case of Chile, as the um, um, Minister of Education of Education in Chile acknowledges Teamstar as a you know sexual program. But to me, uh, what it seems to be more relevant for this research is how this app collects. Uh, fertility data for medical research. In fact, if you review their terms of use in Spanish, FEM warns users that they may disclose health information provided by users to FEM researchers and external researchers. So this is, of course, a question of you know personal data, but also it's a question of ethics, I think, in research. Uh, the, the question that keeps appearing in my mind is can women give their sensitive information to studies to studies they don't even know what goals are pursuing? Um, of course, this question is even more relevant in the case when, when you see that this data is used to justify some sort of uh, anti-woman's agenda, no? So, um, yes, these are basically the three main things that we have find in this research. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting point that you made in the report of can people actually consent to how their information is being used when they don't understand, I mean, understandably don't understand how the company behind it may be using their information to justify a complete sort of advocacy campaign. Absolutely, and there's a lot of ethical protocols, you know, in research and in medical research, and I think I'm not an expert on that, but I think in the case of FEMAP, uh, this uh, way to, you know, to consent to give information to other researchers is not even ethical at all, no? And I think it's super worrisome because you are financing in a way um, a research that that is tricking women, you know? So I think... It's very, very, very interesting to see that point here, not only the, the, you know, privacy and data protection thing. What has been the reaction to that sort of finding in, in Chile? I'm sure that the, the FEM, the Guardian reporting of the FEM app and the connection to that Chilean doctor 
um, was quite shocking in the country. And I was wondering, how have people responded to that? Yes, um, it, it, was it was shocking in a way that uh, we live in a conservative society and we know that um, you know, some doctors, especially because of uh, you know, the, the abortion law, some doctors are very um, you know, reluctant to uh, women's rights, uh, which is very disappointed disappointing for everyone, no? So it was not a surprise in a way to see Chilean doctors, um, you know, working in this, some sort of apps. Um, but actually at the time we didn't know that Pilar Vigil was so involved. In the Guardian um, report, they say that there are two Chilean doctors working in FEMAP, but they don't really make the point that they are the creators of the FEM app and the creators of um, multiple uh, research institutes around the FEM app, no? Uh, so this research was able to establish that actually they are the same person, no? They are the same institution. The FEM app, uh, there's research centers that are behind the FEM app, team star, etc uh, etc et the whole ecosystem around a fem app uh, is actually based super near my house uh, in a near you know uh, um, neighborhood no they also um, share the same address actually you know so i think it's quite shocking now showing this research to local feminists to say hmm this is this is more complex than we thought uh, reading the guardian report you know this is this is more about um, ecosystem that is working to get information from women to basically make um, anti-gender research. And also, I was really interested in what you said in the report around um, the teen star curriculum being used in schools. And could you talk more about that? How does that actually happen, um, that that program has been used in, in schools in the country? So you have to understand uh, before that uh, we live in a neoliberal uh, system where everything is about, you know, uh, the private sector working in public things, you know? So in the case of education, uh, Chile has one of the most uh, neoliberal system, you know? So the state uh, provides a lot of, um, or gives a lot of, of opportunities to private sector to work in educational things, no? in any aspect of educational things. So for example, um, Teen Star is this kind, is this program, this private program, uh, which, as I said before, uh, has an, an enormous influence from the from US uh, with the, the, this conservative um, influence from the US. And basically what they do is provide uh, um, a, a, a private program of educational and sexual uh, education, no? So in Chile, um, any school, any school, even uh, public school, schools can get uh, that programs, no? They pay sometimes, maybe sometimes they are free. It doesn't matter. They are free to do whatever they want. And if they are recognized or acknowledged by the minister, they have this some sort of, you know, uh, institutional symbol. They say, oh, this is serious. You know, this, this is not just uh, someone given an educational program. 
they have the, 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 the support of the Minister of Education, so they just use it. Um, so this is why it's super troubling here in Chile, because the Minister of Education, by the way, now they are uh, super conservatives, um, they're saying, you can give this, uh, you know, you can provide this program of educational, of sexual education to your, you know, students, it's okay. Uh, but when you are seeing that, actually, they what they are looking for is to provide uh, information uh, against contraceptive methods or you know uh, hormonal contraceptive methods, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The thing is, you know, it's not so clear if what were the reasons behind um, the Minister of Education to provide uh, acknowledgement to this program, because you can see that uh, it's not. Uh, quite, um, you know, quite good for uh, reproductive rights for women. Teen Star, and they promote that curriculum, which is abstinence only, if I understand that correctly. Yes. Globally. Um. Yes, it's like the most conservative things. You know, you, you can go to the web page and you can see that basically they are saying that um, the natural method is the method, no, like counting days and everything. Uh, but they are, which is, is, is something that uh, many feminists are, have seen here that even they have a very conservative way to see uh, reproductive rights, they uh, try to um, provide a more progressive uh, messages. Behind, there's a, a super conservative organization, but to, I don't know, to, to, to have the trust of women, they try to, you know, to have a more progressive, some sort of language, which you can see in Teen Star. They are like, oh, we're super young, we're super free, you know, that kind of, you know, trying to, to be close to be feminist and everything. And then basically they provide a super restrictive uh, agenda on sexual and reproductive rights. This is something that you can see not only in 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 Teen Star, uh, but also in Embarazo Inesperado. That's uh, which again is a super like neutral way to you know provide information. But then when the woman goes and you know contact them by the web chat or the hotline, the whole uh, process is 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 basically give information uh you know conservative information uh around sexual and reproductive rights yeah it's interesting because even like you said with femme but other kind of natural fertility natural family planning fertility apps they're marketed as um take control of your body like it's anti-pharmaceutical industry um Absolutely. borderline you know like you said feminist language so it is quite deceptive yes and uh, and I think you can see that because of the uh, privacy international uh, research, you can see that this is uh, this is a strategy that is super common in different countries. So you can st still thinking that there's you know there's a super um, I don't know like super people is taking this strategy very carefully, you know? So there's, I, I would say even there's a central way to think about the conservative organizations, you know? And I think here, organizations as PRI, Citizen Go, et cetera, et cetera, even Heartbeats International are 
playing a fundamental role uh, in many of our countries. My, my last question for you actually is around what people are doing in the country to sort of expose and combat against this sort of thing. In the case of uh, feminist groups, um, I would say in the last five years, they have received a lot of, a lot of attacks by uh, conservatives organizations through internet, no? So you have the typical, you know, troll attacks, but also some sort of hate speech. Uh, some of them have been, uh, you know, hacked. Uh, some of them have been, um, have get, you know, whatever, a lot of attacks have been happened. So these uh, attacks, are being so you know big and sometimes they are so scared about them that is that that the feminist group started to research on who is behind this uh, behind these uh, these attacks and um, this is interesting because they actually are now talking about uh, these um, about the um, ultra right agenda on the internet which was and yeah, you know, for Privacy International, for our, you know, researchers working on the, on the internet, this is, this is something that is like, of course, of course, there's, there's, there is this kind of influence. But for women's organization, classical women's organization, this was not so clear because internet is not their, you know, common field of work. No, they use internet, but they are not worried about the internet. So now I will say that the last five years, they are saying, oh my God, on internet, they are winning the fight, no? It's clear that they have this kind of, um, you know, um, coordinated uh, strategies, but, but they also are coordinating attacks. So what they're trying to do is actually uh, understand who is behind that. And uh, of course, uh, what are the, um, you know, the uh, strategies that they are using, which, it's interesting because now feminist uh, organizations and um, women's groups are working with uh, uh, digital security. You know, they are trying to understand most how internet works uh, because they are finally seeing that here is, you know, this is a, a big battlefield uh, during the discussion, no? to, to put your arguments uh, through uh, the public opinion. So I would say that there's more, you know, interest from uh, um, feminist group to understand more about this, uh, which for me is great uh, because for years and years we were like, oh, please, this is important. And they didn't see, you know, the importance of, of the internet in here. Um, but now, yes, they are, they are working on that. Uh, but again, I think uh, we don't have the amount, you know, the the amount of resources as they have in terms to, you know, to have a strategy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But they also, but you know, they also are conservatives. They follow rules. You no, know? they they really are. You know, they can do that. We are we are people from progressive sides, and we're just we we like to discuss and we like to not agree about things. So it's very difficult to actually uh, copy that kind of uh, conservative behavior on the internet. And I would say that it's more important to, to seek um, novel ways to um, 
you know, to confront that kind of discourse, to confront that kind, that kind of attacks uh, in a progressive way, in a feminist way. And I think uh, in the case of Chile, and I would say in the case of Latin America, that discussion is being made. And I think, uh, I hope really uh, that we can, um, you know, understand very well the behavior behind the uh, conservative organizations behind this and uh, basically to have a comprehensive response, you know, uh, on this. Uh, but I think the election of Bolsonaro, the election of Trump, you know, these conservative people in Latin America started to make a process in feminist group to say, okay, <laughs> this, this is something that we have to, to deal with it and deal, deal with it in, in a secure way, you know, in a, in a, in a way that we can, you know, understand on internet and technologies with uh, digital security, with, you know, with, with data protection, etc. So I think in a way there's, there's a kind of reaction, but of course it's a reaction that, um, that's going to take time. Well, well, thank you so much for your time.